morning's reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. It's on page 1169 in the Church Bibles. That's page 1169, Galatians chapter 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's pray. Lord God, on this Whit Sunday, we praise you for the gift of yourself. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of your beloved Son, the Lord Jesus, that we might know the fullness of your Holy Spirit. That is, that we might know you, our Creator our Redeemer, our Sustainer. We pray especially that you might fill our hearts so that we would know the work of the Spirit in faith and fruit. And we ask it all for the glory of Jesus, our Ascended King. Amen. Amen. Well, do please be seated. Welcome uh, to you this morning, Um, especially if you are uh, new or visiting, or as John so cheerfully put it, one of the old timers uh, amongst us. Uh, Well, I count myself among those these days, so uh, you're in good company, I hope. Uh, If you need the code, it's there on the screen, and uh, if you'd like to turn back in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, page 1169, if you're using an old-fashioned paper Bible. I'm using one of those too because I'm an old timer, but uh, however you're looking at it, just make sure you've got Galatians 3 in front of you. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. Do you think God will accept you? And if you do, why? Do you think that God will accept you? And if so, why? Now, there will be some people here who think that God really doesn't accept them. 
Perhaps that's because you don't think he exists uh, and you've just come to accompany uh, a believing spouse or family member. Perhaps you believe he is real, but you simply don't know if he could possibly accept you. Perhaps you're so conscious of the depth and darkness of your own sin and failure that you are quite convinced all hope is gone. But there will be many here who do believe that God has accepted them, and you know why. Uh, If you were here last week, you heard this verse uh, from the previous section in Galatians. Uh, We know, Paul says, Galatians 2.16, that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. How are we accepted by God? By faith in Jesus Christ. It's exactly what Jesus himself taught. He was uh, once asked by a crowd, uh, what must we do to do the works that God requires? This was his answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is, to believe in me, Jesus said. Or perhaps you've heard the story of that uh, momentous night in the city jail in the city of Philippi, uh, told us in Acts 16. After the earthquake, the terrified jailer asks Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they were told the same answer, because it's the only answer. It's the gospel answer. It's the Bible's answer. It's God's answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus And you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So I hope you know that. Even more, I hope you've done it. Uh, This is the way of salvation. This is the way of acceptance by God to put our trust entirely in Jesus. Now, If you've been here for more than five minutes, you've heard me say that. Uh, In fact, if you've uh, been here like me for 20 years or more, uh, and this is a revelation to you, that I have wasted the majority of my adult life. This is the core Christian message. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. As you know, George Whitfield, the 18th century evangelist clergyman, is one of my heroes. That's why I named a room after him, the church centre. On one occasion, uh, he uh, was uh, being asked by an exasperated noblewoman uh, why he kept telling people the same message, ye must be born again. And he turned to her and replied simply, Madam, because ye must be born again. Every one of us must come to that point where we decide whether or not we will trust Jesus and follow him as our Lord. As we give thanks for our dear sister Ruth uh, later this week, uh, herself an extraordinarily gifted evangelist, we will at her request begin with the old hymn that contains these lines, "'Tis all my business here below to cry, behold the Lamb." So if you are new here, uh, or if by the uh, mysterious wonders of the uh, YouTube algorithm you're watching it in a few months' time when you thought you were going to be looking at a cooking video, uh, well, hear this message. Do you want to be accepted by God? Then put your trust in Jesus Christ, because he has done it all for you. And today, you can be justified, acquitted, accepted by God By the one means he has made available faith in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Believe in him and you will be saved. Uh, If you're one for short sermons, you could stop now and still benefit from that uh, because we have rehearsed what is at the very heart of our faith. The only work God requires of you 
is to stop trusting in your own work and to trust in the Son he sent to save you. And on this Whitsunday, this Pentecost, when we remember especially God's gift of himself in the Holy Spirit, uh, this is the Holy Spirit's purpose as well. He comes into our hearts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that we might proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we are born again by this renewal of our hearts, so he brings us to trust in Jesus, to proclaim that he is king, to call out to the Father whom we now know loves us and we are one of his sons or daughters and it becomes our business from that moment uh, in the power of the holy spirit to point others to him to cry behold the lamb the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and yet and yet i still want to come back to the beginning and ask you my first question even though most of you in this building know what the answer should be And indeed, most of you not only know what it should be, you have trusted in Christ yourselves. You see, I don't mean what is the right answer. It's not the Sunday school question where it doesn't matter what the question is. You know the answer is Jesus. Nothing I've said this morning will be any great surprise, I'm sure, to any of you. No, what I mean is uh, when I ask you the question, do you believe that God will accept you? I mean in your heart of hearts. In your innermost being, which you may hide even from those closest to you, why do you think that God will accept and welcome you? His hand, as it were, on your shoulder, him looking you in the eye individually and saying, why do you think I will accept you? Yes, you, not them. I don't want to know that you know the right answer. I want to know that you know you have really been accepted by me. You see, the reality is that many of us struggle to believe that God really will. Perhaps we're troubled. We know how great are our own failures, our own inadequacy. We want to call ourselves Christian, but we don't feel worthy of the title. And maybe we're at that stage of our lives where we look back to those first days of zealous faith when we have a wonderful story of conversion to Christ. And yet we've sung us old-timers into the apathy of midlife and we fear that everything has grown cold. Perhaps there's a nagging fear that somehow God won't really accept me because he knows how thoroughly rotten I am, even if I can hide that from you. Why do you think God will accept you? Well, this is the sort of person who's just sung all the songs, but deep down inside there's the nagging voice. I'm really not convinced that he will. Sometimes we go the other way. Uh, Having started in the Christian life, amazed by God's grace, a complacent pride begins to grow. We've established some good habits and made some good choices in life. There's perhaps many years now of quietly successful ministry in one of the many ways that we can serve the Lord in the local church. Others have come to respect us and so on. Why do you think that God will accept you? Well, this person might not quite say it out loud, may not even articulate it in their own hearts, but really deep down they think they're quite a good sort of Christian. And maybe God will notice, perhaps even be a little bit impressed. If you know your own heart, 
And maybe you know what it is to be in one of those camps, to struggle with feelings of inadequacy while presenting confidence to the world, or on the other hand, say all the right words about humility and faith, but inwardly, actually, your real battle is with spiritual pride. I suspect most of us have experienced one, quite possibly both, and maybe even in quick succession. Perhaps you know the progression. At one moment, uh, the day has begun well, uh, you've read your Bible, you've prayed, you've done some good thing, uh, and then uh, you feel closer to the Lord for it, and the next moment, an old temptation overcomes you, and suddenly you feel rotten, uneasy, even about talking to the Lord again. And to those of us who can relate to what sound like quite different experiences, Paul brings God's truth right in to encourage us, uh, although he takes us by the scruff of the neck and starts with a rebuke. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. The surprising truth that we hear from this passage uh, is that God's message to us, uh, those who struggle with feelings of inadequacy and those who struggle with feelings of pride, is the same. Because both have their root in the same error. Why does God accept you? Not because of your efforts, but because of your faith in Jesus Christ and his sufficient death for you. See, when I feel that somehow God will have a problem accepting me, I'm thinking that his acceptance of me depends on my efforts to please him. And when I'm feeling pleased with myself and think that God will be impressed enough, although I'm never quite crass enough to say that, exactly the same thing is happening. I'm acting as though God will accept me because of my efforts. The only difference is my own personal judgment on the quality of my efforts. If I judge them negatively, I fear rejection. If I judge them positively, I bring them for reward. And again and again, in this letter in particular, Paul says, no, that is simply not how it is. Because the gospel of Jesus says that God accepts us on the basis of Christ's cross and our laying hold of him by faith and faith alone. It's not a matter of my efforts however good or bad I think they are, but of his grace. Do you feel inadequate, unsure of the certainty of God's love? Well, then stop looking at yourself and look up to the cross. There you will find God's sufficient grace, even for you, even today, even with that sin, even after all these years. If you have trusted in Jesus, then God will no more reject you than he could reject his own beloved son. Rest on him and him alone, and you will find perfect security. Do you feel a measure of pride and satisfaction at your efforts? Well, be warned and repent. Read again Paul's rebuke of Peter from last week, his urgent insistence in this letter that any reliance on our own efforts leads only to condemnation. Flee to Christ, confess your arrogance, find refuge in him alone, and learn to look at yourself truly as you are. You too need to look away from yourself and towards the cross. We find this message, though, so hard to hold on to. Like the Galatians, we are so easily bewitched. 
Even though we've seen in the gospel again and again, sung the songs again and again, read through the scriptures again and again, Jesus Christ crucified for us, how quick we are to look away from that foundation and back to ourselves as the sinking sand. And Paul says, the gospel is not just a message for those who don't yet believe or for those who are young in the faith. We need the gospel preaching to us every moment if we would know that we not only begin by faith alone, but continue by faith alone and end by faith alone. We never move on, you see, from beholding the Lamb and laying hold of him today in this moment by faith. Paul makes that point in this passage in three ways. First, from the example of our own experience. Second, from the example of Abraham. And third, from the heart of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. Before that cross, each one of us has a choice every moment whether we shall have faith and find blessing or trust our own efforts and find the curse. So first, our own Christian experience tells us that we know in our hearts this reality. And it is not by our own efforts. Let me just read these verses again. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Remember, Paul is writing to Christians, not to unbelievers, not even to new believers, but to established believers. And he's asking them to go back and examine the foundation of their Christian journey. And we need to do the same, friends. Each of us will have a different story, but they will all be versions of the same story. Some of us grew up in Christian homes and have never not known the Lord. Others of us have clear accounts of our conversion. We remember what it was like to think and be an unbeliever and that moment of crossing the threshold into the kingdom of God. Each story is as individual as the person who tells it. But every authentic story of Christian faith will have some version of this in it, to pick up Paul's language again from the end of chapter 2. I came to realize that my own efforts to find favor with God did and always would end in spectacular failure. But Jesus Christ, though he knew what a wreck I was, loved me and gave himself for me. And so now, because I know there's nothing good in me, I live by faith in the Son of God. I was lost, but Jesus found me, and now I trust in him. That's our common story. And Paul reminds them of this. God gave you himself. That is, he poured the Holy Spirit into you in order that you might be open to the gospel of his Son. And suddenly those words were no longer foolish and indecipherable, but the very means of life. And so it is. As Paul says here, as it is throughout this age, the word of God and the spirit of God in tandem, generating, life-giving, Jesus-centered faith shaped by the cross as we follow him. The Galatians themselves were evidence of this greatest miracle of grace. 
And how did it happen, Paul says? Was it a reward for your earnest efforts? Of course not. They knew it. We know it. Oh, some of our stories, no doubt, will include uh, tortuous searching and trying of many paths and perhaps even reading the scriptures for many years or bouncing between churches. Uh, but in the end, the Christian story is that God found us, however uh, alive or dead we were in our prior search for him. Our testimony is that he loved me, not that I loved him. Someone preached Jesus to us, even if we've long forgotten whom, and we believed him. That's how it started. That's how the Spirit brought us to new birth into the kingdom of God. So if that is true, says Paul, then having begun with the free gift of the Spirit, why are you now behaving as though you had to persuade God to be favorable towards you by your own efforts, whether you judge them uh, unsuccessful and so are now in despair, or, or really quite impressive and so are now wrestling with pride. It's ludicrous. Oh, you foolish heart fordians. Paul says, consider your conversion, your beginning to walk with Christ by faith. See how he did it all. It was all of his grace. It was all of Christ. It was all of faith. And nothing changes. From conversion to being an old-timer to your deathbed. It is faith in Christ alone throughout. Second, verses 6 to 9. We know from the experience of Abraham that this is not just our experience. It's God's way of dealing with humanity right from the beginning and through to the end of time. Paul's reference to Abraham is a shrewd move. The false teachers have come into Galatia are trying to get these Christians uh, to put their hope in their ability to obey God's law. Uh, and one of the key aspects of their program uh, was to get their male converts circumcised uh, as a sign of their commitment to law-keeping uh, as really uh, the way to God. And as far as circumcision was concerned, Abraham was the man who started the whole show. Uh, the Lord had commanded him to be circumcised as a sign of the relationship that existed now between them. And these false teachers were probably saying something like this to the Galatian Christians. Are you greater than Abraham, our great father in the faith? He had to be circumcised. He had to obey God's law. Are you greater than Abraham that you think you don't need to do that? He appeared to be their trump card. And after all, if Abraham had to do something himself to find God's acceptance, well, then surely we lesser mortals will have to do so as well. Well, Paul says, let's just think about the story of Abraham, uh, shall we? Uh, he says, uh, as it were, come back to where we actually discover the sequence of events in God's dealing with Abraham. Uh, and let's ask that question. Was it based on human effort? Was it based on Abraham's obedience to the law? Uh, is that the ground of his acceptance by God? Well, look at the text, he says, because Paul's a preacher. And when we do that, well, we'll discover actually these false teachers, these troubling men uh, who've come in, uh, who sound so impressive with all their talk of Abraham, have actually completely misread the Bible. Uh, if you come back, uh, to the story of Abraham. Uh, we won't do it now, but read it yourself. Uh, and those key chapters in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, well, then you will discover that the foundation of Abraham's relationship with God was not what Abraham did, but what God said and what Abraham 
believed. Long before the law was given, before Abraham was commanded to be circumcised, God made Abraham a promise, a very unlikely promise from a human point of view. And despite that, Abraham believed it. And Genesis 15 verse 6, which ought to be underlined in every Bible in this building, says this, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham at this point in the story has done nothing. All he has done is heard a promise and he has chosen to believe it. And that faith, Paul uh, quotes that verse here, he says, was credited to him as righteousness. Uh, In other words, this was the basis of his new right standing before God, his acceptance by God, because he trusted the promise that God made to him. It was entirely the Lord's gracious initiative. It was entirely the Lord's promise. All Abraham did was believe it. It's a bit like someone giving you a birthday present, which is always a marvellous idea. Uh, And uh, they decide that they don't know what to give you, uh, but somehow they know your bank details. They're probably related to you. uh, And so they just transfer a gift into your bank account. You didn't earn it. Uh, You didn't even know they were planning to do it. All you have to do, like Abraham, is just accept the gift of grace that's been given to you. And from that solid foundation of grace received in faith, obedience, yes, of course, it will come. And two chapters later in Genesis, Abraham is obediently circumcised. But this is the key. He wasn't circumcised as a means of acceptance by God, but because he already had been accepted by God. Likewise, and we won't talk about it today because it's beyond this passage, of course, obedience to the word of God for Christians, a life of repentance, is important, vitally important, essential even, but not as the ground of our acceptance by God, but as the life of one who now filled by the Spirit has been accepted by God. So verse 7, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, the principle of justification by faith, of God cancelling our unpayable debts and crediting infinite righteousness in its place. It was established 2,000 years before Jesus was born. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of the Old Testament. There's only ever been one way to find God's blessing, and it's never been to do with our efforts. It's always been to do with God's promise and our receiving that in faith. And what Abraham didn't know and we do is that the sum of all God's promises is God, the word, becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. And so where Abraham believed that promise of God So we put our trust in Jesus, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And that is enough. That brings us into the kingdom of God. That is our acceptance. Third, verses 10 to 14, Paul argues from the heart of the gospel, the cross of Christ himself. Now the question he's addressing is still the same. Why do you think God will accept you, Christian? And he uh, talks of God's acceptance in two ways. 
Uh, Verse 11, it's called being justified before God. Uh, That is to not be condemned, but rather acquitted and declared righteous, uh, to stand in God's favor. Uh, The second description, verse 11 and 12, of the person who is accepted by God is he will live. These are the two uh, phrases, uh, be justified uh, and he will live, uh, and live not just in the sense that we uh, share with all creatures our earthly life, but rather this is eternal life. Jesus uh, gave the simplest def- definition in John 17 verse 3, and now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the heart of the gospel's promises. Uh, We come to be accepted by God by finding his favor, that's justification, and entering his fellowship, that's eternal life. We are both acquitted and adopted. We are set free and we are brought home. But how does it happen? How does it happen? Well, once more, Paul explores the two possible ways. First, the pathway of trusting ourselves and our own efforts. And second, the pathway of trusting God and his provision in Jesus at his cross. And the first pathway leads only to the eternal curse of God. You want to try and impress and see if you can find your own way in? Uh, Well, look at what the Bible says about that, says Paul again to these teachers. He quotes Deuteronomy 27. That cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's fairly clear, isn't it? The only fragile hope that we might keep alive if it depends on us is our absolute obedience to everything that God has ever commanded. That should crush us. That should lead us to cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Any possible reason for it not doing so is that we are completely ignorant about what the Lord demands. I was at a, an event uh, the week before last uh, for training incumbents to help get me ready for our new curate arriving very soon. And I was startled to read, in amidst the enormous mass of paperwork, many trees died, uh, to the, uh, give me the list of the things I have to train him in, uh, but apparently our new curate only needs to know Jesus' summary of the law, not the Ten Commandments. Apparently those are deemed unimportant for the modern cleric. Well, rest assured, we will go above and beyond. And if he doesn't already, which I'm sure he does, he will certainly know the Ten Commandments by the end of his curacy here. I'll set that as a personal goal. Uh, But even if we just stick with Jesus' summary of the law, you know it, don't you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Invest in your neighbor that same degree of care and time and love and nurture that you instinctively do so for yourself. And we don't have to dwell in those very long. It doesn't take a lot of self-examination before we know that we are absolutely lost if it depends not on occasionally approximating some degree of closeness to one or two of God's laws, But as Paul quotes here from the scripture, doing everything continually that is written in the book of the law. It's not like exams. We know a thing or two about exams in our house at the moment in the vicarage with A-levels and GCSEs. Uh, And uh, you aim for the best mark. You might even get a top grade without getting 100%. It's not so with God. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law finds themselves cursed 
by God. That's a fragile hope, isn't it, friends? The bathroom mirror I bought as part of our repairing our house, uh, but then dropped on the floor. Uh, Once it is shattered, there is no going back. There is no restoration that we are able to do. As James says in his letter, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. How well does Paul say, verse 10 and verse 11, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law. You do believe that, don't you? You do know your God and your heart and your life well enough to see the absolute impossibility of being accepted on the basis of our efforts. There is a path that is held open to us. It's only open to failures. It's only open to sinners. It's only open to those who know they've fallen short of the glory of God. It's a path that leads straight to the Father's heart. This is the path of acceptance. This is the path of favor and fellowship. This is the gospel path. It takes us to Jesus. It takes us to his cross. The gospel tells us that Jesus did on the cross what we could not do for ourselves. The only way to escape the curse of God's law is not our efforts, but his. And he's done it, and he's finished the work. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is the heart of what the cross means. The curse of, upon our heads for law-breaking is taken from us to him. And because of his love for us, he takes that curse on his own head that it might not come on to ours. And instead, all of his righteousness, his standing as the beloved son of God, all of that is transferred to us. That we might be acquitted and adopted. No longer accursed, but now blessed. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. And the reason God came to die in the person of his son, well, it's all to do with his promises. It's the lesson of Abraham, again, how God is faithful. Verse 14, he redeemed redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Friends, will you please abandon any confidence in yourselves? You cannot do it. You are utterly incapable. And the longer you try, the more you will realize that pathway leads only to failure and to curse. But to the broken person, the person who knows there's nothing in themselves that might persuade God to accept them. Well, then the cross is the best news in the history of humanity. It was in Christ that God came to save us. And so he calls us into him by faith to receive it. As we trust in him alone as the sure way to favor and fellowship with God. Abraham then teaches us this. Not what we do. Nothing in my hands I bring. But simply to thy cross I cling. And so when those feelings of inadequacy on the one hand or pride on the other, begin to come in and bewitch us, as they surely will, because there is a bewitcher 
And he loves to take our eyes off Jesus uh, and his cross to either lead us into despair because we know we can't do it or to pride uh, when we have an entirely false view of our abilities. Well, then when those days come, look away from yourself. Look up to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what brings us to faith. It's what sustains us on the journey of faith. It's what will take us at our last day to be with God forever. Believe in him. Believe in him alone. There's nothing else we need to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there may be some here who don't believe. I pray that even now, by the powerful, miraculous working of your Holy Spirit, you might bring that person to trust in Jesus as their Savior. There are many of us, Lord, who do believe, but who struggle. We have these battles of pride and despair, often alternating. Please have mercy upon us. Forgive us. Lift our eyes to where they should rest, not upon ourselves, but upon the Lord Jesus, his finished work, his victory. As we behold the Lamb of God, so please would you use us to bring others to behold him too. And many may come to trust in Christ and be saved. We ask these things for your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.